Good morning. Good to be with you in the house this morning. Hey, real quickly, let's welcome into our service Lake Hills Church downtown at Brazos Hall. Good to be with y'all. You know, one of the things I love about downtown is that they've got a, a pioneering spirit. I mean, they, they understand survival mode and they make it happen week in and week out. We're excited about that. It is great, great to be with you. I actually had a chance this week, of all things, I was on the Jersey Shore this past week. There was a conference up there that a good friend of mine hosts and uh, actually had a chance to go to the Jersey Shore. I feel sure that I was rubbing elbows with some mobsters. I don't know that, but I feel confident. And uh, one of the most exciting things about this conference was to see what God is doing in some incredible churches in the Northeast. I'm talking about like in New Jersey, New York, New Hampshire, which for decades, demographics will say, this is not a judgment call, this is just a statement of fact. That traditionally, over the last few decades, has been where churches go to die. And there is an incredible, incredible move of God up there that we're excited to get to be a part of through C3 Global, our partners there, and these incredible, incredible churches. If you've got your outline, I want you to take it out and pull it out right now, if you will, and just Right at the very top of the notes page, write down the following sentence. We're coming full circle this morning. Normal is overrated and deserves to be overthrown. Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, normal is overrated. It is incredibly Overrated, And I can't think of an arena where this is more true than in the church. If ever there was an institution that needs to, to shake it up, that needs to remind itself of its original calling and what we are intended to be all about, it is absolutely the bride of Christ. The church that Jesus Christ himself gave himself up for, for the hope of of the world. Tell your neighbor right now, you're the hope of the world. Now, I don't know what that was like downtown, but here at West Campus, that was terrible. It's like y'all used up all your energy on college game day opening day yesterday. Tell them like you mean it, you're the hope of the world. Because you are. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? That's rhetorical. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. The church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ is the salt of the earth. Now, as we've talked about throughout this series, shake it up. Moving from the status quo to status go. The reality is that Jesus intends us, his body, to act as salt in two primary ways. Number one is as a preservative. Salt during Jesus' day was used instead of refrigeration because they didn't have refrigeration. So salt would extend the life of meats that they had harvested that they were preparing to eat later on. It would actually arrest the decay created by the bacteria that was already inherently in the meat. You and I as the bride of Christ are here to arrest decay. We are here to preserve this world. You know, I remember a couple of things from seventh grade life science biology. 
I was not a great science student. I was a big English and history guy. I was not math and science. I don't know where that came from, but that just is how, I, how it was for me. But I do remember this from seventh grade biology life sciences. The law of entropy. How many of you remember the law of entropy or even the word entropy? A little AP testing here this morning. Entropy simply means that the universe and living organisms tend toward disorder. How many of you who are moms and dads, let me just see a show of hands, if you're a mother or a father, you know your children's rooms are a laboratory for entropy. They tend toward disorder unless you step in and do something about it. Our relationships, unless we are active and proactive and deliberate and intentional, they tend toward disorder. Jesus said that the body of Christ is here to arrest that decay, to stop that disorder and to provide order and preservation in the world. But the second thing we're supposed to do is to add flavor to the world. You've got a particular flavor in your life that God needs injected into this world. That's why he created you. You're here by divine appointment. You are here to make a difference using the gifts and the talents and the personality that he baked into you. You're here to add flavoring to this world. My first question for you this morning is this, and I would encourage you to write this down. What kind of flavoring am I adding day in and day out? What kind of a flavor do people get when they're around me? How many of us, and I'm, I'm going to stand at the head of the line on this, how many of us behind your pastor tend towards sarcasm? Let me just see a show. Just be honest. This is church. You, nobody will ever talk about this outside of this room. I, I, this is kind of my natural bent. And, and I tend toward sarcasm. And I learned very early on that <laughs> sarcasm doesn't necessarily help a marriage. How many of you have discovered that? I'm just curious. That was a little bit loud of an amen, Julie. But... That's, that's just kind of my natural bent. But the thing about sarcasm is it can be cutting. It, it can be actually damaging. The word sarcasm actually means tearing of flesh. Sarcasm comes from the same word that gives us the word sarcophagus. It's, it's about flesh. And when we're sarcastic, we're, we're cutting. We're tearing other people down rather than adding the flavor of God into their lives. There's not one part of Jesus's ministry, of Jesus's life, that was ever marked by mean-spiritedness. Not one. And so for those of us who call ourselves the church, those of us who say we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are to bring his flavoring through our God-given identities. You've got an identity, I've got an identity, all God's children got an identity that he wants to use in this world. Now, this may come as a flash to some of you. Some of you, this is going to be review. But did you know that churches have identities? Did you know that every single church has an identity that they were called to fulfill? And, and this is a healthy thing. People say, well, why, why isn't there just one church? Because there are different people and different purposes, different people to reach, different purposes to accomplish. And today, as we conclude this series, Shake It Up, I think it's imperative for those of us who say this is our church home that we remember 
the flavoring that God has baked into us from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Lake Hills Church started our first worship service, September the 7th, 1997. Next Sunday is September the 7th, 2014. 17 years ago, we started in, a, in, a, in an elementary school cafetorium. And that first fall, we had about 40 or 45 people coming to church. People would walk in and they would see this paper mache Chinese New Year dragon hanging from the ceiling. And there were so few people. Matter of fact, I want to show you something real quick. I want these first two rows just here in the center. If y'all would stand up, please. Just, just stand up right where you are. That's, you're doing awesome. Great job. Now, downtown, just trust me on this one, but this is about 30 people. This, is how many, this was Lake Hills Church in 1997. Father, right now, we just want to thank you for your blessings. Y'all can have a seat. Y'all done a great job. But here's the thing about 35 people, 30 people. When you come into worship and it's time to start singing with only 30 people, everybody can hear themselves. And so nobody sings. People would be like, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And be glad in it. This is a day that the Lord It's kind of like people in the balcony sing. You know what I'm saying? I'm teasing. I teasing. I tease because I care. It's a joke. But that's how our whole church sang. And God was so faithful. Here's what we knew at the very beginning. That God had called us to a great vision. As a young, young pastor, I knew that as a church, we had to hold on to the vision tooth and nail. That that was what God had called us to. Now, our vision as a church, this is important for you to write this down, that you understand who we are and what we're all about, because this is what God gave us. This is what he has called us to as a church family. Our vision, the reason we exist, is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. You need to write that down. You need to bake that into your spiritual DNA and make that a part of who you are. If this is your church home, if it's not, man, thanks for being here this morning. Take care. But if this is your church home, this is who we are. This is what we do. And, and we knew at the very beginning we had to hold on to that because not everybody is down with that. I remember when we got up to 100 people, 100 people were like, man, it's just getting so big. It's like, are you joking me right now? A hundred? We live in a, in, in a metropolitan area of 1.4 million, 1.3 million of whom have moved from California, and you think a hundred <laughs> is too big? 1.4 million people, 85% of whom do not have a meaningful relationship with Christ? We haven't even scratched the surface. And so if we have 2,000 2,500, we still have so much work to do. There are so many people who don't yet realize the extravagant love of God. As we talked about last weekend, when we gather together, this is awesome. This is ordained by God. And this is our team meeting. It's when we go out from this place that we are the church. We are the bride of Christ called to do the work of Christ. And so our vision is to grow 
the community of Christ one life at a time. We will never rest until every ear has heard the name of Jesus and what he means to them, how much he loves them. We are not done. This is our vision. This is what we hold on to. But one of the things that we've learned along the way is that as important as the vision is the voice with which we speak. We are called to be different from other churches. And that's a good thing. We celebrate other churches. There are some incredible churches around us. One of my best friends, pastors of church less than seven minutes from where you sit right now. Don't go there, but it's a great church. I'm teasing. Randy Phillips, pastors, what's the name of their church? Life Austin? I can't even remember. It's Life Austin. He's, I remember Randy, but I can't remember the name of his church. Life Austin is a great church. Great church. I've got a great friend in North Austin, Rob Koch. He's the pastor of Shoreline Christian Center. Amazing what God is doing through that church. There are awesome churches, but we are called to be different. We are called to a specific voice. And the way that that voice gets sung out, the way that that voice carries is in the values that we embody, the values that we live out. And our values explain to us how we do what we do. Our vision is what we do, but our values are how we do it. And so this morning, I want to just make sure as we launch into this new season of ministry next weekend, that we are all on the same page that you understand where this comes from. Now, this is not the only way to do church. It, it would be incredibly, I don't know, crass, inappropriate for me to say, if you read the Bible, this is how you do church. This is how God's called us to do church. As I said, there are other great churches with great distinctives around us, but it's imperative that we understand who we are and what God has called us to. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, number down your notes page 1 through 75. I'm just kidding. 1 through 7. 1 through 7. Our number one primary value is this. Go fish. Tell your neighbor, go fish. I mean, you got to help a brother out. Tell your neighbor like you mean it. Go fish. Go fish. Jesus said in Mark 1.17, as he called his first disciples, his first followers who were actually fishermen, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. This is our primary calling as a church family. If you want to put it in church terms, it's called evangelism. It's called telling the good news to people who don't yet know it. One of the subsets of our vision as a church, one of the things that God laid on our hearts early on was to redefine church for the city of Austin and beyond. Because Austin is a phenomenal place to live. Would somebody help me preach? I mean, it is a great place to live. But our city as a whole has a really backwards view of church, which is not entirely our city's fault. <laughs> our city looks at church as kind of a quaint relic from a bygone era or something completely irrelevant. And Jesus said that nothing is more relevant than the bride of Christ being the hope of the world where we live. And we need to remember that. And we need to remember our calling as followers of Christ to go and tell. 
Go and tell somebody. Now, around here, we practice a little thing called tag team evangelism. Tag team evangelism means you bring somebody with you to church, buy them a latte, and when they get here, I promise you they will encounter Jesus. As a matter of fact, we are committed to doing this in, in a compelling way that, that causes people to kind of go, wait a minute, that's not the church that I walked away from when I was in high school or college. This is, wait, this is different than when I had to go with my grandmother when I'd go visit her. And part of that is absolutely by design. Next weekend, we're starting a series that we are so excited about that I think is a perfect invitation moment for you and your friends, for you to step into somebody's life and go, you ain't gonna believe this. Let, let, me, let me show you what we as a church want you to be a part of. Just come check it out one time. It's called Life on Tap. Life on Tap, where Jesus says, come unto me and drink of living water. We're talking about quenching those thirsts that are deep down inside of us. Matter of fact, if you're on the right side of your row, if you're on the end, I'm going to ask everybody right now just to look underneath your chair. You should have a bag of these invitation pieces. Life on Tap, they're coasters. That's, I didn't think that up. That's brilliant. I love that. These are for you not to use at your home place, but for you to invite your friends. Everybody take three of these, please, this morning. Everybody take three of these. And this week, begin praying and inviting. Don't do one without the other. But pray for the people in your life, in your sphere of influence who don't yet know how much God loves them and tell them, I would love for you to come to church with me Sunday. You're not going to believe this. It's going to be an absolute celebration of what the Bible calls the life that is truly life. And so these are an invitation piece. Ask somebody who maybe owns a restaurant or somebody who works at a restaurant, could we leave some of these on our table or at some other tables? It's got life on tab beginning September the 7th. Flip it over, it says, please enjoy church responsibly. <laughs> I love that. It's got our locations and times. Life on tap, that starts next week. The greatest advertisement for our church is sitting in our seats. That's the greatest advertisement that there is. I said just a second ago that 85% of Austin is not connected to God in a meaningful way. But did you know that 77% of Austin would come to church if a friend invited them? 77%. So think of 10 people that you know who don't know God. Almost eight of them will come if you just invite them. If I will just invite them to be a part of this. Our primary reason for existing as a church is to go fish. That's why we're here, folks. That is the reason we get up in the morning, is to go fish. We absolutely are called to be the family. I talked about this last week at length. This is our team. But every decision that we make as a church always keeps in mind people who haven't yet walked through the doors of the church. So as a church family... I'm asking you, I'm, I'm calling you out saying, let's go get it together. Let's go fish. The second value of our voice, our church, number two, is take the lead. Take the lead. That means that you take it. I take the bit and go. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. This is one of our pillar verses as a church family. 
The Bible says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's really funny. When I tell people that I'm a pastor, the vast majority of them think the following. That is so sweet. That is really cute. That is nice that you're about. They think that, you know, pastors kind of hang out and we know every verse to kumbaya. And then when we take a break, every pastor plays golf. I don't even own a golf club. That doesn't make me a better person. I'm just saying I don't. I own some fishing rods, but I don't own a golf club. Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. The Bible says, no, no, no. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love. Yes, we love each other. We sing kumbaya together sometimes. That's cool. And good deeds. We're going to work for the gospel. We're going to work for the purposes of Christ. We're going to serve as a church family. So this is about taking the lead. You take the responsibility for your spiritual growth. Our responsibility as the church is to make sure that you get the food. The pastor, I'm kind of like, I'm like the chef, if you will. A good friend of mine likes to say, I'm the dude with the food. But it's your job to make sure that you are growing spiritually. What happens in here on the weekends? Men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, life groups. That's your deal. I remember when our kids were very, very little, very young. We used to feed them, literally spoon feeding here comes the choo-choo, open the tunnel. Now, one's in college, one's in high school, they pretty much feed themselves. But you know what was really tough was that transition time. That transition time when we weren't feeding them, they didn't really know what was going on. And you looked all around the bottom of their high chair and it was an absolute hot mess. You know what I'm talking about? When you, when, you, like when you leave a restaurant, you're like, okay, we're getting ready to move. I want everybody ready to run so that they don't know whose table this belonged to. Because when you first start learning to feed yourself, you don't know what you're doing. But over time, over maturity, you learn, I'm going to take responsibility to grow spiritually. This is my responsibility. And so you... You take the lead. Ephesians says this about the order of the church. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Take the lead. That's the deal. So right now, if, if you attend Lake Hills Church, that's awesome. For a lot of people, that's a huge first step. But for a lot of people, it's time to take the next step. It's time for you to really, truly invest in your spiritual growth and maturity, to be a part of a Bible study, to get into a group, and to serve somewhere in this church. You look at what God did through Lake Hills Church this summer, particularly in the lives of our children's ministry and our students, that happened because people took the lead and stepped up to raise up the next generation. And because they did that, those areas are growing and we need more help. We need more people who are willing to say, you know what, 
I will do what it takes. I will invest. And one of the best ways to grow is to serve, is to learn how maybe even to teach kids at their level. It's unbelievable what that can do for you. So take the lead. Number three, love the game. Tell your neighbor right now, love the game. Jesus said in John chapter 10, in the New American Standard Version, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Underline that word abundantly. Circle that word abundantly. It means overflowing. If I walk with Christ, if I'm a follower of Christ, my countenance ought to show it. I ought to be a joyful person. Doesn't mean I'm always happy. Trust me, but it does mean I am joyful because it means I'm connected relationally and undeniably and eternally with the only one who loves me perfectly, no matter what. And so as a Christ follower, we ought to love the game. We ought to love this life that we get to live. We ought to love the opportunity to serve and move his purposes forward. Love the game. Joy. Say joy. Joy ought to be a banner that waves over the life of every Christ follower. Joy. Do you know that joy may be the greatest tool for evangelism that we'll ever have? When people look in at our lives and see the joy of the Lord really is our strength, I don't know what it is. And, and I, I've done this before, so please understand that. But somehow we equate spiritual maturity with seriousness. And being serious all the time. I, I, I'm going to be serious. Then you'll know I'm serious about my faith. I'm, I'm going to be serious. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We ought to enjoy this life. We ought to enjoy our ministry as a Christ follower. We ought to enjoy church. I believe with everything I have. You ought to write this down. Spiritually, personally, maritally, parentally, datingly, in every arena of life, fun is underrated by Christians. Fun is underrated. One of the ways that you propel a marriage forward is you have a little bit of fun together. Date one another. Surprise her. I called the babysitter. She'll be here in 30 minutes, and you and I are going out to eat, and I'm not telling you where. That's so much fun for me because Julie hates surprises. Some people, not me, some people would say control issues. But the bottom line is, <laughs> it is fun for me to just kind of leave her hanging a little bit. And I'm like, you'll like it, don't worry. 23 years, I've been paying attention. But that's true in the church. That's true as parents. Man, my son Joseph, he's a senior in high school this year. His whole life, he has loved putt-putt golf. He loves putt-putt. I could give Joseph a Ferrari, Testarossa, hypothetically. I mean, I don't mean I could give him, but I, I, I could give him a Ferrari new car and be like, wow, that's cool. But if I said, Joe, you know what? Tonight we're going down to Barton Springs Road and we're going to play Peter Pan golf. He'd be like, Dad, I love you so much. This is awesome. That's just, that's just fun for him. That's just fun for him. Fun is underrated. We ought to love the game. Number four, guard the bar. Guard the bar. Now, anybody can set the bar high. 
But as a church, we're going to be a church that pursues excellence. We're not always going to ring the bell, but this is what we're going after because Psalm 150, among others, says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse, praise him for his mighty deeds, and praise him according to his excellent greatness. God don't do nothing halfway. Everything he does is excellent. It's phenomenal. And so because we're created in his image, because we're following Christ, we're going to strive for excellence in everything that we do. Guard the bar. Anybody can set the bar high. That's pretty easy. But the tough work is to guard the bar. Leave it there and say, no, this is what we're going for. We're going for excellence. Number five, feed the fire. Feed the fire. Every single time God blesses us in any way, it is always intended to be a blessing to us and through us. Every time. Malachi chapter 3. The Bible says that Christ followers are to tithe. That means if God blesses us with $100 a year, $10 of that $100 goes to the local church. Malachi chapter 3. And I put in quotation marks there, Matthew 23, where Jesus endorsed the tithe. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul talks about generosity. But Malachi 3 puts it very succinctly. It says, bring all, say all, all, all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. In the original Hebrew, put me to the test is actually translated, bring it on, sucker. That's what God says. God says, if you doubt whether or not I can bless you in ways that will make you just blow your mind, bring it. Bring the whole tithe. Now, we don't beat people up about money, but I refuse to rob people of the blessing of the tithe. I refuse to not teach it. We must let people know that this is how it works. This is what God says. I didn't make that up. If you're visiting with us, you're a guest here today, you need to just understand you're sitting next to some of the most obedient, generous people you've ever been around in your life. Now, we are not sitting around looking for new ways to spend money as a church. We manage the resources that God entrusts to us very, very, very carefully. We have incredible checks and balances and oversight. But listen, to be the bride of Christ in Austin, Texas in 2014 and beyond is a cash-intensive endeavor. It takes resources to do what God's called us to do. But as the church, when we feed that fire, God continues to do it. One of the slides that you saw earlier in the Mobile Loaves and Fishes Community First Slideshow came with a house that was built by the offering from our kids at VBS this year. $12,000 raised by kids to build a house for a homeless person to move off of the street into to pay rent on. That's a God thing. So from the youngest to the oldest, we teach this. Number six, Protect the house. Protect the house. Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. A house divided cannot stand. We're going to disagree from time to time. 
but we're going to disagree together in love. We're going to remember Jesus died for you just like he died for me. We're not going to allow our house to be splintered by feuding. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 is a passage that rarely gets taught because it's tough, especially as the pastor. But this is what God's word says. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. It's just the responsibility factor. I remember when my mom sat my brothers and me down. I was 14, my brothers were 12, and my mom was a single mother with three boys. And she sat us down one night and she said, listen, I'm now responsible. I didn't ask for this job, but I'm responsible. And if this is going to work, you're going to need to listen to what I tell you because I'm responsible. And just because I'm not six feet tall and do not have a bass voice does not mean you do not have to listen to me. And I'll never forget my brothers and I looking back at my mom and saying, Mom, you are so right. Thank you for teaching us this gift of authority. Thank you for showing us the error of our ways when we might challenge your authority. And we vow from this moment forward. We didn't do that. I was the quintessential strong-willed child. I kind of pushed the edge of the authority envelope. But what my mom said was absolutely right because it's biblical. It is the responsibility factor. And that helps things to move forward in a unified, coherent way. Doesn't mean that the authority is always right. Believe me. But it means that we're moving forward. This is what Scripture says. Titus chapter 3 is a great one too. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. You know what that means? Unfollow them on Twitter. <laughs> Unfollow them on Facebook. Just talk to somebody in love and go, you know what? This is, this is how we're going to handle it. This is not how we're going to handle it. would appreciate it if you would not be causing it. The great thing about being a church that's only 17 years old, we have so few quarrels. There's nobody around here who goes, we've never done it that way. My grandmother donated that chandelier. We don't know. Nobody does that. So we have very, very few. But again, this is biblical, protect the house. And then number seven, stay on the wall. In Nehemiah chapter six, Nehemiah is in the process of completing his God-given vision of rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem that had been sacked. And there were a small crowd of people who were trying to distract Nehemiah from this vision, from this calling. And they, and they kept trying to lob, you know, little grenades in at him, trying to distract him. They would say, oh, you're trying to build your own kingdom, Nehemiah. You'll never get it done. This is so stupid. That's the dumbest wall I've ever seen. And then in the ultimate ploy of the desperate, they called a meeting. And they called a meeting on the specific place outside of Jerusalem called the Plain of Ono. O-N-O. -O. And look at how Nehemiah responded. I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I am engaged in a great work. I'm staying on the wall. I will not be distracted by anything that takes me away from my God-given calling and the vision he's called me to. We will stay after it with everything we've got. This is our voice 
as a church family. This is who we are. This is where we're going. But it begins with the reality that God loves you. It begins with the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you to just consider and ask yourself this question. Have I committed my life to Christ? Because Christ, the Son of God, has already committed his life for you. When Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again, he did so with the promise of life on tap, of a life that is truly life. Yes, it's eternal when this earthly life ends and we spend eternity with him, but it also includes the here and now. You see, eternity is just the fulfillment of our desires here and now. So if you desire to walk away from God and to reject Jesus, that's your call. God says then that's what you'll have in eternity. But if you desire to embrace Jesus, to confess him as the leader and director of your life, the Lord of your life, God says your eternity is secure with him. Your eternity will be the fulfillment of that earthly desire. And so today, if you're here, maybe you're downtown, and you've never made that commitment, we want to give you the opportunity to do exactly that. Just right where you're sitting. Silently, just talk to God. Just silently begin praying and say, Jesus, I need you. You are God. I am not. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness to commit my life to you once and for all. Right here, right now. I give you every part of my life. If you will, remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. Downtown y'all as well. Because this is a holy moment. The Bible says when one person comes to repentance, when one person steps into that relationship with Christ, all of heaven celebrates. Isn't that amazing? Heaven is having fun right now. Heaven is loving the game. And so if that was your prayer today and you meant it, I want to invite you just to make sure that you mark this moment in your life personally to know that it's real. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would just raise your hand high over your head and hold it up for just a moment. So that in this moment, 
you come to, you make sure that you understand this is the most important moment of your life. And as you hold your hand up, please know that we want to be your church home, your family of faith. And so what God just did for you, we celebrate that with you. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.